And now, it's time for a Star Trek story. But welcome back to Star Trek Stories. Woo! Episode 9, Elan of Troyes. Ooh, boy. Here we go. Um, we are winding down our look at Classic Trek. Into Season 3 yeah. of the show. Yeah. This is uh, our first episode from the infamous third season from the original 60s show. Mm. But it is part of the show, and we would be remiss if we did not address it. Um, last time we watched A Private Little War, that was our first allegory episode. Um, I think we came away from that one all with a whole bunch of mixed feelings. Yeah, we were all confuzzled. Yeah, like how mm. do, there were things we liked, things that were like, ugh. <laughs> things that just didn't really make a lot of sense looking at it. With your hindsight glasses, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think we had a good time. It was still fun. We have a guest host we have to introduce. Where? Sitting in the captain's chair. Oh. We have um, my sibling. Okay. No, I'm <laughs> Aaron. Yes, of course, we have Aaron Hatch on the podcast with us today. Hello. Um, Hello. Once again, one of the Hatch siblings, but as mentioned before, a few of us all grew up watching Star Trek. So this is now a third Hatch perspective on Star Trek. Um, if there's to- Star Trek, you got to have a Hatch perspective, just saying. Yeah, I think we, the four of us have agreed that we have the most insight and best perspectives on the series. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> on the planet. On the planet. Um, Arn, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Of course. Um, we, we couldn't not have you. Um, I know you have many thoughts and feelings about what happens in the world of Star Trek. Oh, so many. <laughs> Just every time we meet, Star Trek ensues. Oh, so I was thinking about Star Trek today. <laughs> yeah. For not even a hi or a bye. No, just, <laughs> just jumping right in. <laughs> yeah. All of us had siblings. We all have a very long um, history with Star Trek. So I guess we will start there. Um. Arn, you are the youngest of all the siblings. I. Yeah, so when we had Tanner on the podcast, we definitely talked a bit about when you're a fa- all in a family growing up with something, and you all have like your little internal language about it, and then you all do have like a shared perspective, but then you all have different perspectives, and they all kind of homogenizing in the middle on this weird kind of morass of... For sure. Here's what yeah. we here's what the family thinks of okay. it. Um, it took me a long time to actually. I feel like for most of my childhood, like up through high school, I I mostly just had like I had my opinions on Star Trek, obviously, but a lot of them were just like me adopting everybody else's opinions. And then once I started watching it more as an adult, I was like, mm, actually, actually, this is how I really feel about this. Watching again as an adult, like especially when I rewatched the original series, um, I didn't actually really like the original series much as a kid. But as an adult, I adore it, which is funny because I have a lot of friends who are just like, oh, I struggle to watch the original series because of the sexism and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I see that. And I, you know, that sucks. But like, it's so theatrical in a way that the others are not. And, and so I really like it. And so Watching Star Trek as an adult now, a lot of the time I feel like I'm watching it again for the first time, though. Mm. Um, like, because I feel like a completely different person, not just because I'm an adult, but, you know. And sure. so, so yeah, I, I, 
basically I got to re I got to watch Star Trek again for the first time, which is, you know, something you want to do with a lot of things that you really love. Do you, so this is something else I wanted to bring up with you because, um, I think both you and I are and have a love of storytelling and then specifically writing. Yeah. We're writers. So. We're, we're writers. We write stuff. Um, and do you, did Star Trek come into this at all? Like, I'm curious as to what, like, cause there was a lot of it. Um, was that any kind of influence on being a, a writer or was that kind of a separate thing? That's a separate thing. I, I just started writing in like kindergarten and mm. it's just, I just did. So <laughs> it's been going since then. Cause for me, Star Trek definitely was a huge thing in creating my love of storytelling and, and writing and like I would work on I have like like I have like a documents with like just hundreds of ideas. Wow, I had no idea. For, like, for episodes. I knew that you had hundreds. Had worked on that online the fan fiction. The fan fiction yeah. collab thing. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that, but I had no idea that oh, it was yeah. such a big influence in oh, oh yeah, for sure. Um so yeah, so I was just curious if that came into it for you in the beginning, but certainly I'm curious now now that you are a writer and a storyteller because you mentioned how, that your feelings and perspective of Star Trek has changed. Do you think part of that is your love of storytelling and now you being your writers? Does that affect how you look at it now? Oh yeah. I, I cannot watch things anymore without uh, like watching them as a writer. Like I will be looking for all of the little things, the connecting things, you know, I'll, I'll be watching the character arcs and, and I also look at like, not even just from the writing standpoint, but the things that help the story, like the cinematography and the lighting. And cause there's a lot of things that go into filmmaking that like create the whole, um, I learned a specific term for this in my film class. And of course I forgot now, but, but they all help the story, even if they're not specifically like the actual words in the screenplay. Um, and so I look at all of those things. Um, and I really want to write my own little Star Trek miniseries. I kind of started it. Um, but to me, Star Trek is hard for me to like write um, I don't know if it's because I hold it so sacred. And so I'm like, what if I mess it up? Like so many, you know, new Star Trek things. And I'm afraid to do that. I'm afraid to fall into those, um, those pits that they bury themselves in. But, um, I really do want to finish it. I want to keep working on it. It's mm. interesting because I feel like it's almost the opposite for me where it's like Star Trek is so second nature to me and it's like yeah i could write star trek episodes all day i just turn them out where and i then i but you know i don't work on star trek stories like sometimes like i'll play around with like i definitely have like my own like created idea for a show and i've worked on the pilot like just for me um but when i you know as a writer i'm working on other stories though mm -hmm. um but a lot of times when i finish it and i see the finished product i'm like I can definitely see like, this is a Star Trek episode, but instead of this, there's this and this. I'm like, okay, yes. And there's the lesson learned. And I can, I see it bleed into my writing a lot. Like how I approach storytelling is very much almost like Star Trek story, storytelling or me either like consciously or subconsciously like channeling it or reacting to it. I find cripes up in a lot of my writings. 
I love that. See, it's more like not instinctual, but instinctual for you. Whereas for me, it's just so like consciously buzzing around my mind that it kind of makes it difficult. Mm. But I guess that should probably take us into the episode we're going to watch now, though. We are going to be watching Elan of Troyes. Um, Aaron, I know this is one that you liked as a kid. Oh, when I was a kid, I had loved this episode. I love this one. So this will be interesting to see, especially since we've been talking about how perspectives have changed over the years. I haven't seen it in a long time. In a long time. Um, yes, we're watching Elan of Troyes. This... Um, Aired December 20th, 1968. Um, this was the second episode. This was the second episode produced for the third season. So we're right at the beginning of the most troubled um, season of the show. A special season. A very special se- On a very special season. Five true. days before <laughs> Christmas. Think Five days. Yeah. yeah. This is, I guess, the closest scene to the Christmas episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ooh. Um, so at this point in the show, the, the ratings were not good. Um, the, at the, the show was only saved for a third season due to a massive letter writing campaign from the hardcore fans. Um, but the show, so they brought it back victory, but they put the show in the graveyard slot on Friday nights where no one was watching anything. So they basically, it's like, we're going to put it here to fully just die. Um, the graveyard slot. Um, and as a result, Gene Ronberry also kind of took a step back from the show. So he's not really as involved anymore. Um, and then was replaced by Fred Freiberger, um, who would go on to develop as a reputation as a show killer due to his involvement in the final seasons of Space 1999, Six Million Dollar Man. Like, what a thankless job. So or he's, Fred. <laughs> he's coming in as the showrunner to to shut it all down, basically. Shut it all down, but also to keep it going. It's like, well, we got to do a whole season, though, so keep it going. But this huh. is basically it. So troubled season indeed. Um, so I guess the some of the things to keep in mind as we watch this that we'll come back and address later. How does this compare to everything we've seen so far in the first two seasons? Um is it noticeably worse? Does it have redeeming qualities? Is this good or is this bad? This is kind of one of these episodes. Yeah. Like, where does this... <laughs> Everything up to this point, we're like, we're not really going to talk about if it's good or if it's bad or not. But today... Today. this We're going to say, does this episode suck? This is definitely... Yeah. is it worthy of your attention? What, what are we to make of this one? That's the, is it good or is it bad? Objective opinions only. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we'll be back in a bit after we watch it. Um, so we of course invite you all to watch with us. Um, if you want to pull up Paramount Plus, of course, um, all of Star Trek is streaming there. You can pull up Star Trek, the original series. Um, you should be able to find this one under season three, episode 13. And we will be back after we watch Elan of Trias.
obligations that go along with a title and give it up. Nobody speaks to me that way. That's another one of your problems. Nobody's told you that you're an uncivilized savage, a vicious child in a woman's body, an arrogant monster. That's no way to treat someone who's telling you the truth. Tomorrow's lesson will be on courtesy. My goodness, Elan of Troyes. What an episode it was. It was quite an experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, Atlanta Troyes. Initial thoughts. Um, Arn, we'll start with you. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, that answers the question of it's good or bad. Good night, folks. Thanks for listening. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> if you don't want to hear why, just know it's bad. You can probably skip it. Yeah. Unless you want to see some amazing William Shatner acting. And are we air quoting amazing? It's like half unironically, but also single ironically. Quotes. Like I, single, it's, single quotes. Single quotes. There you go. <laughs> it's like, it's amazing in the fact that like, it's just so damn fun to watch, mm. but it's so outrageous. Outnormous. Out-no- it's outnormous. Yeah. Um, outrageous. I think it's a good word for it, Aaron. Initial thoughts. Uh, it is terrible, but I, I loved it. It was very entertaining. <laughs> it is entertaining uh, that it is for sure. Right, it, it opens the door of, of like Star Trek going into that <laughs> wacky territory of like, Oh, we got to write something, right? <laughs> like, oh, we got, we got to fill it somehow. And this is what they came up with and this is what they shot. It's, it's hysterical. It's you just know like, that they started with the premise just like, all right, what do we do? I don't know. Women illogical and just, went from there Mm -hmm. literally they stole that classic trope of a a princess being married off to join the two houses but on a planetary scale you know and she did a great job of playing that part i must say she did the The writing doesn't do her favors oh it does me no favors she gives it everything she does also i have to say she looks amazing doing it Mm -hmm. yeah for sure um I would also agree. I think this is the campiest episode we've watched so far. Like, I think, I think there for some people who who've never watched Star Trek, especially for the '60s show, there is a perception of it as being this silly sci-fi show. And I think this is the kind of episode that fits with that. If someone had a specific perception of Star Trek and watched this, it's like this was exactly what I thought it was. Like, campy, silly, dated. Um, this is also, I think this is the most, if Buck Rogers is an inspiration, like for this show, which in, to some part it was, like the old classic 30s sci-fi serials, like pulp, pulp fiction stuff. I think that it's got some of that vibe. The princess that's got to be married off, you know, and I've fallen under the spell of her tears. Like, but I've got, I've got to ferry her to this planet. You know, it feels, 
you, all you had to do, do was like, instead of like Troyus or whatever, just call it like Saturn, Saturnian. Exactly. You know, and the Vin- we're taking the queen from Venus and marrying her to the emperor of Saturn. She's a but 10, she- but she's got no <laughs> table manners. <laughs> but she's from the, yeah, the tribe of love savages from Venus. Oh my God, that's, love savages. That's kind of what this feels like exactly. a little bit. McCoy coming in with her, her tears act like a super love, love potion. potion. <laughs> oh, right out of that. That's a line straight from that kind of crap. <laughs> I could see that as like a, a shout out to Buck Rogers in that age. Cause even the way that like the Klingon ship moves is so goofy watching it come out of the enterprise. It's like, it's on a string going. More amazing for the fact that this is the, the HD remaster, mm. but it's like, let's still make it look like this. <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> Who is the hell? Who is flying this? <laughs> um, so in, interesting bit of trivia here. Um, I did not know this. This is one of these things I did not know. And I read this. I was like, are you, are you, are you kidding me? This episode has a singular distinction within the entire Star Trek franchise. This is the only episode in the entire franchise that was both fully written and directed by the same person. This is one person's creative vision. John Meredith Lucas he was a producer on Journey to Babel. He both fully wrote and directed this episode. It's the only time it's ever happened in the entire franchise, and it's Elan of Troyes. That's what you got. <laughs> so how many times has he tried to go into Wikipedia and like edit that so it didn't say that so people wouldn't know? Because <laughs> this episode is... Too late to take a ghostwriting credit. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the one. This is, the, this is my vision. <laughs> What a vision. What a vision for the show. My whole life was meant for this. Uh, if season three has this reputation of an infamous drop in quality, and this is early, this is just very indicative of there's definitely been a shift in the show. <laughs> Even when it was silly, I think they were trying to take it. They were still, they were trying to do something. And this doesn't feel like, they're not they're not even reinventing a wheel here it's like oh geez like this has turned into more of a pulp cereal and so we've all agreed that it's outrageous it's not very good but wildly entertaining like just to like get drunk or high with your friends and just watch and like it's almost better than some of the best episodes just in the sense of it gives you stuff to laugh and just like what <laughs> what the hell? This Sometimes is the, that's what you need. Yeah, yeah right. This, this is the exact same crew that hit the edge of the the known galaxy in the first season, and right. they're having to deal with this wacky nonsense. Yeah, the stakes are like. <laughs> so uh, on the guys on that note, so what makes this work or not work? Well, I think we've already determined that it doesn't work, mm-hmm. at least from like a non like goofy like entertainment that's where it works yeah that's where it works where it doesn't work you know everywhere else is um well not (laughs) it chooses some unfortunate tropes which i do not like one of them is like the princess that needs to be tamed (sighs) or like the idea that like Men are the logical ones. Women are the illogical, emotional, you know, volatile ones. And um, 
And then also, I'm legally obligated to say this, it's very heteronormative. I hate the trope where it's just like, it's the weird kind of love spell thingy that women have, but it only works on men. And I'm just like, I'm so over that. Obviously, this was in the 60s, so it was a while ago, but I'm, you know, now I'm, I'm over it. I'm like, I, I don't like it. Even then it was centuries old. Come on, let's be real. <laughs> You're probably, yeah, yeah, it's true. So um, it just, it does no favors towards its leading lady. Um, I also, I don't know if they tried to do this, but for some reason when I look at her, it feels like they tried to go for some kind of like Egyptian mm kind of aesthetic, which is weird, exotic. That's the perfect word, which it's kind of unfortunate, especially because the actress herself is like Chinese and French. And then they try to do like, she's Vietnamese French. Yeah. Canceled. Pretty sure she considers herself Chinese, but regardless, regardless, it's like, yeah, it's like East Asian, you know, um, it's one of those things where it's just like, Oh, we're going to let, a POC, you know, play a different POC, even if it's not the same culture, you know, because apparently they're all the same or something like that. So it's just, it's vague. Yeah, it's vague, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel good to me. It feels kind of weird. Yeah. Kirk is very much playing this like aggressive male stereotype and she's playing this pretty, well, I have two ways I'm going to be like vicious and bratty and then like and then instantly submissive oh but i exactly. love you so much and it's like that's it that's all she has to play and it's like a literal sw- switch is flipped halfway through the episode <laughs> yeah just the, the idea that the man has to like control you know the woman you know she's out of control there's a recurring problem in the show i've noticed too where like specifically in the original series where brown people are okay as long as it's a woman in you know on the screen but like not a lot of 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 black guys not a lot of latino guys Mm -hmm. like so they're they're very careful about their inclusiveness very very particular yeah Yeah. it's i don't know weird thing i noticed yeah that's one of those things especially if it's like they'll cast like a white guy and then they'll just give him like bronzer yeah bronzer yeah klingons some of some of the i mean yeah, that's how some of the Klingons have been portrayed. Yep. I think even in this episode, that's how that Klingon comes across. Um, yeah, it's just like, yeah. And just obviously the use of savages, like savage. He literally calls it, her an uncivilized savage. It, Yeah, it's... A monster. <laughs> uncivilized like, savage. You only yeah. really hear that term, like, used, you know... Pejoratively, pejoratively towards yeah. you know, BIPOC people. So, mm-hmm. or like native peoples. Yeah, yeah, savages. Yeah, I mean now it's been taken by. I don't know who it was, millennials or Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Like that was savage. Savage. That was savage. <laughs> that was fucking savage, bro. Um, <laughs> I think it's dead now, but it was a big thing like in a couple years ago, 2017, 2018. Yeah, 2010s thing, definitely. Oh. 2010s? Is it that old? Wow. I think so. Those kids. Time flies. 10 years ago. Um, yeah, the, the biggest thing this kind of brings up is this idea of, this invites all kinds of questions about gender dynamics, at least how they're portrayed in, in media and storytelling. And, and so Elan, 
very like um like you said i think france france noyan i think is the actor's name um she's great um a bit of trivia for this she was a big robert kennedy supporter and fan and it was during filming this that she learned that they all learned that robert kennedy had been assassinated so she was actually processing that during this episode like she was very much a supporter of him and was very affected by it and it was all while filming this episode kind of an interesting little thing to <laughs> consider about her performance um it's also interesting to note that actually william shatner and Franz noyan have a history of acting together this is not the first time they've ever acted together really? they were in a broadway show together where they acted off each other um and then they would go on even later to play stuff together so this was kind of like a mini reunion for them to play off each other. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I guess they're fun to watch. Like they both have so much energy in their performance. It's all in just what they're written to do. Yeah. Um, that makes it all just all cringe. <laughs> cringe. <laughs> that is cringe. the right word. It's definitely cringe. Um, yeah. And I think this is definitely one of the aspects where, I mean, I guess there is something there is something to the idea that she is someone who is expected to be someone, you know, and like she is someone trying to like, is that all I have to be? Is this this perception or this everyone expects me to be this? I mean, like there is that element to it, which is like, but it's not expounded upon. It's not really what the episode is about. I did pity her at the end of the episode when she's in the transporter. Yeah. I mean, her anger is, you know... What the fuck is this? Why do I have to like this is like slavery? Yeah, like some kind it's, of royalty it's completely, slavery. Yeah, it's completely valid. Um, and he's like, yeah, duty and whatever. But it's like they kind of just gloss over it and they try to kind of change her into something she's not. And yeah, she has no agency. No agency in this at all. No. In like any regard. And any hint of it is portrayed as her being seductive. Exactly, which is tired um and just wild and off the cuff she's just get a control of yourself woman the the suits as well her honor guard hilarious (laughs) in their little i don't even know what you would those are literal placemat cutouts placemat cutouts glued together as costumes you could also have them lie down and cut some cheese on them I know it's the 60s and you can't really expect much, but the fact that, of course, she's wearing these, like, super ridiculous revealing outfits, I'm like, she's, like, this really strong, like, powerful, influential person who knows how to use knives and stuff, I guess. So I'm just like, why couldn't she have some, like, glorious outfit or, like, even, like, some light armor or whatever, you know, just be like, this is my status, rather than just being like, oh, um, yes, I am the sexy princess. <laughs> yeah, that's a hundred percent how she comes off in this. Just oh, Cleopatra vibes. Oh yeah. Um, oh, see, that's the, the Egyptian thing, you know. Yeah, it's it's the braids or the curls. Yeah, the hair. You know, and as soon as she shows up, Kirk also suddenly has these like weird expressions. I'm just like, bro, come on. You have seen so many women in your life. Please don't tell me that like suddenly you're just like, oh. Mm-hmm. Because of just, I don't know. Yeah, you almost don't even need the tears because he's already just like, oh my. Just instantly. 
What? Oh, I guess I'll go down to have to talk to her, talk to him since and to her. Mm. That'll, that'll show her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, the fact that spanking is apparently still like a thing yeah. in oh. the 23rd century. Yeah, it's Kirk. like, it's kind of like already fallen out of favor now. <laughs> Obviously, they wouldn't have known that, but like... Well, it's so interesting. The, you know, this kind of goes into what we were talking about earlier with this idea of defending institutions to the exclusion of all else. Yeah. And because Kirk is like, you're going to do what all these other people have told you and your duty and you're going to like it. Like, that's just what you have to do. And I don't care if you have any feelings about it. Like, stop acting like a woman. Be a man. It's kind of how this all comes across. He's like... You must do your duty for your people in your state. Um, and, yeah, as if that is just some unquestionable good. Exactly, Just, yeah. just do that. That's your duty. Yeah, it's don't not seeing people on an individual level. Like, no. they don't see her as, like, an actual, like, person. She's just, like, a tool, you know, mm-hmm. for the monarchy or diplomacy. It's crazy that something very similar has happened in, in House of the Dragon right now. The, mm-hmm. the, they're doing it much better than, than this episode. <laughs> I, would, I would hope so. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, you said you pity her at the end. Like, it is really sad. If you kind of think about it, it's like, because real quick, he just gets over it. <laughs> but if my true love is the end. Like, it's almost like the end of the snow of like, oh, we love each other and damn it. It's like they're trying to go for this Tristan and Isolde thing where they end up just helplessly falling in love with each other and there's nothing they can do about it and it's so tragic. But uh, that would have been more compelling than Magic Space Tears. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. That weakens the character and it weakens the... the... what would you call it? Their their coupling? Their their relationship? relationship. Any kind of stakes about their relationship? If it was some honest, like passionate real thing that they had for each other then okay so, mm-hmm. but yeah at least no. there's something to explore there and it's like oh damn we have feelings for each yeah, other do you do you all remember the five stages of grief because i was thinking is one of them is kind of like anger mm-hmm. and one of them is like acceptance and mm-hmm. but like i was just thinking it's like i wonder if she goes through those i can't remember all the other rest of the steps but throughout this episode it's like but, we're tracking her doing the five yeah. stages of grief well it's kind of sad with her at the end where it's like I feel like the end of the snow, it's like, yeah, we both have our duty, though. And that's what we just have to do. But she goes down. It's like her duty is being in the situation she hates. Kirk's duty is to be the captain of the Enterprise. Where he's like, and that's like his... uh, They literally say at the end of the episode, it's like, well, I don't think anything can beat the love of the... There's no cure for the love of the Enterprise. Yeah, he has like... He has no real stakes like in this. He has no true emotional investment. Like it's all, it's all just on her, you know. And we can laugh about it because we're just like, oh, he loves the Enterprise more than, you know, someone else. But it's just like it's a very real reality for her. She's going off to arranged marriage, you know, which is usually not great, um, especially with like a civilization that she's been like taught to to hate. On a racist level. <laughs> on a racist level. So it's like... Just go be there and be happy. What? Yeah. It's like, you just have to pretend, which is, you know, it's one of those things with, like, monarchy, you know? It's just like, you, mm. just, you just have to do it. But then why does Kirk take it directly upon himself to get so involved in the situation, too, you know? Like, is he always, is he already absorbed so much by her magic spell? 
or what is it? He seems more than willing to just jump in there like, yeah. I'll be the one who puts you in your place. Yeah. It's definitely like him kind of just like, I have the authority here. It's these weird power dynamics and him just trying to just like, oh. Sure, he can do whatever he wants because it's his ship, you know? So it's just like. Yeah. I'm in command here. In the mood to go toe-to-toe with somebody that day. Yeah, he's kind of like when the episode starts, he's kind of pissed that even had no one's telling him and no one's telling him anything. He's like, "What? I like he doesn't even know that someone's being beamed aboard. We're beaming up the doorman. We're beaming up the doorman." He's like, "What the hell? What the devil's a doorman?" Just has he's just so put out. And so when she beams aboard, he takes it all out on her. How dare you be on my ship? I'm going to put you in your place. I don't, he seems to relish it. He seems to relish like. Like, oh, I feel so much better than you. It's like he's doing the same thing that she's doing to everyone else, where it's like, I'm better than you. Yeah, he's so condescending to her. Yeah. And it's like, I'm trying to teach her a lesson. It's like, fuck you, dude. Well, this is not your lesson to teach her. No, he's literally this like, is a treating, her, treating her like a child. This is a plate. This is a cup. Don't you know how to do basic, simple things, you dumb woman? Exactly. I know. It's like, <laughs> it's pretty wild. This would, this would not fly today. No. At all. No. But it's still so entertaining in a weird, <laughs> in a weird way. I um, don't know. We were also into it. It's uh, so goofy that you can't help but laugh at it like, and cringe at the same time. It's almost a distillation of like the biggest flaws about the show mm. are all on showcase in this one. And that almost makes it... I mean, like, because there are episodes that are worse than this in the sense that like they're so bad, they're just not even entertaining. They're just like... Please be over. I just want this episode to be. This is just not fun to watch. This is terrible. This was not that. Because it was almost like, look how just. Ridiculous. Yeah, how ridiculous this is. Some greater flaws in like with science fiction tropes too. You know, like so often an avenue for male writers to get out their sexual repression and whatever. That's what makes it so interesting. The fact that it's this one man's vision. He wrote and directed this and. It feels like, especially in the character of Kirk, there's a lot of masculine posturing throughout it all. He's just throwing around his, in this case, his literal weight, because we're in season three. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, and I'm the man. I'm I'm in charge here. But there's just such a also lack of investment. But then, because he, then he gets to prove his masculinity by... Being the captain against the Klingons, he's like, I have to, I have to just withhold my lust for this woman, but I'm going to channel it into this violence against the Klingon. I'm going to show she's oh watching me gosh, in the back. You're right. He, she's watching her in the back, and all my friends are here, and I'm going to be the one. As he's just kind of sweating, but just, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to beat these Klingons. And he does. Because he's in like this fever of lust or something. He can't even contain it. He's somehow struggling through it to, to you can't be on the overcoming right feminine now. wiles with yeah. male aggression. Yes. That's exactly yeah. aggression. If I can't be with her, I'll show her while I am the man of everything here. That's how so much of it comes across. Take a cold shower, bro. Take a cold shower. And at the end, he's just like, <laughs> well, five engage, you know, that's it. He's remember me. I don't have a choice. Spock, what was her name? <laughs> that that's how this feels this idea that this is some big epic tragic this is definitely played as a tragic romance I mean literally it's called Elana Troyes 
Helen of Troy. It's just tragic for not the reasons they thought it was going to be. No, it no. <laughs> she has no like true character arc because like she's acting one way the entire time, and then suddenly, just out of nowhere, she's like, "But wait!" And she's crying all of a sudden, and I'm just like, "You literally just tried to like attack him with a knife." And tell him not to touch you. And you're hiding behind a door. But suddenly you're like, but I want people to like me. It's like, did not, did not think you were capable of saying such a thing. No, nowhere did you indicate that this was something that you were dealing with. I don't <laughs> want people to hate me. It's not that they hate you. I don't you. And then she just became so meek. And like she had no power whatsoever. Like she just like lost all of her personality. She was just sitting on the on the bridge looking morose. Like becomes just a prop for Kirk's masculinity. Absolutely. Is what it is. It's weird. And I'm very unfortunate. I'm very unfortunate. You know, to be fair to Francis Noyan or France, France Noyan. To be fair to France Noyan as Ilan. She's very memorable. Mm-hmm. She definitely leaves an impression. Again, 100% the performer. Like, kudos to her. I think some of the most undersung actors are the ones who have to work with terrible, terrible stuff, but yet are able to leave an impression. Leave an impression. For all you hardcore geek fans out there, one of my favorite examples is, of this is Colin Baker as the Sixth Doctor. And Doctor Who, the guy who wears the multicolored Joseph coat, he gets the worst era of the show and the worst scripts to work with. The fact that that era is any kind of watchable is a hundred percent because of him playing that part. Whereas like other doctors and have the benefit of being given good material. Colin never got one of the best ones to work with. So that kind of thing here, I think like this is not any kind of great role to have to play. Bad character, <laughs> great actress. Exactly. The scene with the Klingons and the conflict that they go through is interesting. The battle stuff at the end? Yeah, but it, you could put that in literally any episode and it would play the exact same, you know? It's, it's yeah. It's kind of an interesting climax and conclusion to all this because the Klingons up to this point have been like a periphery. It's the B plot that suddenly becomes like, the A plot. Yeah. At the end. And he's just got to beat the Klingons and, and shit battle stuff, which is fun to watch. Um, but it doesn't give like a land or Kirk or, like anything really to do with each other. The, they saved the day because her necklace, her necklace, her jewelry. It wasn't even her. Just saves the day. Just her necklace. I guess. In, yeah. So interesting segue into the Klingons. Um, at least so. And you and I watching so far, Aaron. This almost feels like the closest there's been to like, because we've seen the Klingons a couple times now, mm-hmm. and they've both kind of been these kind of secondary antagonists, just like in the shadows, almost. And they the, pop up and they get you, and then they go away for a season. Right, and like the, who they have to fight against is some other, like in we watched Private Little War, and they were just having to deal with like the natives on the planet, but it was really the Klingons who were yeah. making things happen in the shadows. It's always these territory disputes with these Klingons. Oh, they want this. They want this planet with dilithium and they're now they're mucking, mucking with things. So this almost, this in terms of what we've watched, this almost feels like a climax in the sense that they've, 
Because in Friday's Child, that first time we watched with them, there was the B plot where like Scotty is kind of out there with like the Klingon ship that's trying to trick them, and then eventually they're going to come into a battle, and then it never happens. Mm-hmm. And they just show up on the planet like, uh, what? what? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Move on. Move stomach on. for fighting. Yeah. Um, here we actually get a big old battle with the Klingons, so it almost feels like the first time, at least in terms of what we've been watching, they actually have like a battle full on engagement with the Klingons. It's kind of fun. They're still not like the most, like the guy who's playing the captain. No terms. Surrender immediately. He's got more of a (laughs) alien looking beard. I'd say than anything we've seen from the Klingons so far. Like the, the gelled out spiky beard. That's that's very Klingon. That is Klingon. And we get the, yeah, the symbol for the first time and mm-hmm. like a really close up look at the ship, which is a great ship. Mm-hmm. It's a really fun design. I think you mean to say sexy design, really sexy design, both those ships. They're so classic, the enterprise and the Klingon D seven battle cruiser. Um, Klingon still not the most interesting adversaries in the world. They're, it's funny that they're so memorable, memorable as being the bad guys in the original show. But you know, honestly, they're they're kind of really bland. Yeah, they're much if more, not offensive, much, much more fun. <laughs> definitely as, offensive. Uh, yeah, absolutely offensive. No, no depth. No depth. And the fact that they try to make them all look like not white people is a little vaguely ethnic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> slightly Mongolian, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, slightly. they did seem kind of just out of place in this episode to me. Also starring Klingons. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I feel like they could have just leaned in on the, just the three factions, which is the Federation, the Troyes. The Troyans and the Elysians. Yeah. Like, also starring Klingons. They just have a conflict with that. But. Yeah, because it's like that con- the conflict, the Klingons at the end, has nothing to do with like the inherent problem they've set up. And it just takes over at the in the last fourth of the episode. It just becomes all about their meddling with things. But it never really addresses like all the stuff with like Kirk and Alan and the ambassador. That's like for most of the episode, like what what it's about. And then it just turns into this other thing at the end. I did not remember the Klingons being in this episode at all. Yeah, wow. So when they showed up, I was like, okay. Shows you how memorable. Like I get if someone were just watching for the th- watching this who had no context and then it's like oh yeah so the Klingons are one of the biggest parts of Star Trek it's like really those guys I barely remembered what yeah I guess there was some ship in there that they're fine I, I remember like maybe three or four episodes of TOS where they might be in there I'm just imagining some kid back in the 60s like sitting down his friend for the first time to watch Star Trek he's like you're gonna love it you know before streaming or anything and then this episode is the one that comes on and yeah. it just completely ends their friendship. Yeah. <laughs> this is the show you like ditches to watch. Like we're always asking you what you do. And it's like Star Trek's on at six. I have to watch it. And now I finally watch it. And this is, this is what it is. It's this terrible. Is- <laughs> I love this when I was a kid. And I think it was because of the romance. Cause like when I was a kid, I didn't like see the, like not the nuances, but the, I didn't actually like, see anything that was going on. I was just like, oh yes, Kirk's in love with this hot woman. And I was just like, I love this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually funny because like when I was a kid, when I would write romances in my stories, they would all be kind of, they would be very based in like traditional gender 
like norms and stuff and then I would read him again when I was older and I was like this is horrible this is a horrible relationship I was like why was I writing about this and so it makes sense that I that's what I would like because like those kinds of roles are like what I like learned when I was a kid I was like that were like good you know and now as an adult and I'm just like no this is bad and I was like this romance Uh air quotes is not it's not that it's they try to they pretend it is they pretend it is they really try i'm living that being married right now i would say Mm. (laughs) it's like oh yeah those things that i saw growing up and like in my family and with my friends families or whatever it's like oh yeah that's actually not good Mm -hmm. maybe that's a a thing to avoid avoid at all costs yeah for a good and healthy relationship you know, if, if anything, this show, this episode in particular, just kind of shows us it's like it's hard to sometimes think that we've made any kind of progress. But like, certainly, it's like again, this would not fly today. Absolutely. With a lot of with audiences at large, I don't think this would play all that well. So, like, thank God for that at least. You know, yeah. swings and a miss, good buddies. Um, but <laughs> you you can't you can't have episode, every episode be good. You know. You know, I almost have a theory that. With both, say, like this and something like Doctor Who and maybe even more so with Doctor Who, but, like, a lot of them aren't winners. They rely oh, yeah. they rely so much a on you just being a fan of the show. A lot of Star Trek is just so mediocre to bad. So mediocre. But when they hit, when they really hit it, it just, it's like Babe Ruth just... Um, like people said, it's like there was just something about when Babe Ruth hit those home runs. No one made a home run. It never sounded like that except for Babe. That's almost what Star Trek feels like. It's like when they hit it, just no other show quite sounds or looks or like that. It's like that was really good. Like the kind that really just sticks with you for a long while after and you can remember it. Like, oh, I remember that one. The one where they did this. Oh, forever. Um, that's Are they the- on the stars? That's the sound yeah. of of going zero for four at bat, and then finally smacking one out of the park. <laughs> exactly like, though, yeah. Like Babe, he he struck out all the time. He would just swing for the fences he, all every time. Every time, yeah. He got the most home runs because he would swing for the fences. So, right. you know, it 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 definitely. I wouldn't say you would want every show or thing to do this, but it is something to be said for going for it every single time. Whereas when they're like, let's just let's just play to get on base. I mean, which you have to, to keep it going sustainably. But a lot of those are just like, eh, well, sure, whatever, cool. They got on, guy got on first. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is not even that. This is a this is a strikeout. Turns out baseball is a great uh, living metaphor for writing. <laughs> I, I know you said Gene, you know Roddenberry, you know, kind of stepped away from these season. I was just like, I just want to know what this guy's intention was with this episode exactly. Like the writer director. Like he just he knew like he like I I assume he understood like what kind of like the goal of Star Trek is. And this just feels so off from so many episodes, like even even though there was plenty of sexism in the first two seasons, like it just feels so off from it. I'm just, I want to know, but you know, also, what was he trying to say? Also on point in the sense of everything in show has their worst impulses. And this feels like not thinking like you're going for all the wrong impulses. That's what this episode feels like to me. And you can always kind of tell when a showrunner steps aside, like a creator steps aside, like when 
Dan Harmon handed the reins off to his junior writers in community. He just did the same thing with Rick and Morty, and it's already very clear mm-hmm. that it's, it's not the same show anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, well, should we get into some reception? I think we're all pretty agreed on not great. Yeah. And so if, if the question is, is this good or bad? Bad. 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 <laughs> it's a stinker. Um, yeah, let's... Um, I try not to like group things into good or bad when I watch them because I feel like so much of our society is just like, oh well, this is bad, and then it just, three out of five stars. It just re- like for, like forgets and ignores everything that might have been good with it, you know. You're right. But this. If this was the first chapter, I would not finish the book. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm glad it came in at season three. Yeah. <laughs> Big kickoff to season three. Oof. Um. Okay, some reception. The writer of the episode, John Meredith Lucas, I should say not just writer, but director of the episode, (laughs) was pleased with the episode. Mm. Commenting, I enjoyed the love story aspect of the show and thought it was an interesting change of pace. You didn't get too many of those. Is that what love looks like to you? Is he married? I'm a little little, uh, worried. Also, what do you mean? He's like, we didn't get many of those. I'm like, Kirk has like a love interest of the week every other week. Yep. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's a little much, but still. There's always somebody coming in trying to make out with Kirk. Like, why, why is it so hard to just show a healthy romance? <laughs> I mean, like, like. We get that with Kirk and Spock. What do you think? Oh, yeah, about? that's true. <laughs> there it is. Producer Fred Freiberger noted that the episode was intended to appeal to women who were skeptical of science fiction. He remarked, we tried to reach a segment of the audience we couldn't otherwise reach and didn't succeed. Yeah, because he insulted them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how a woman watches this episode and doesn't come out feeling like it was saying that they were inferior and weak and volatile and emotional and, yeah. you know. You know, a great way to include women is to, like, let them write the episodes. There you go. Mm. Sorry, that's too much. <laughs> a woman writing it? What, what are you insane? <laughs> Can Do they women eat? even know how to read? I'm saying, like, come on. Oh, I mean, they had DC Fontana working on the show, and yeah, she's one of the best true. writers of the mm-hmm. show. That's true. You know, so. But they kept that very hush hush. No, oh, yeah, that's not a woman. It's of just DC. It could be anyone. Ridiculous. Star Trek, the original series 365. Authors Paula M. Block and Terry J. Erdman are scathing of this episode, commenting that it was indicative of many, though not all, of the episodes produced for Star Trek's third season. Costumes, makeup, and script were all overblown, perhaps more suitable to sci-fi pulp than to the show's earlier attempts at straightforward storytelling in a unique setting. For what I agree with the critics. Yeah. Um, Here's the last one. This is probably the most interesting. According to author Daniel Leonard Bernardi, the land of Troyes brings into play stereotypes of the Asian female, the manipulative dragon lady, and the submissive female slave. Elan is both irrational and primitive. She throws temper tantrums, eats with her hands, and drinks from the bottle. Kirk tells her, nobody's told you that you're an uncivilized savage, a vicious child in a woman's body, an arrogant monster. 
Bernardi argues Captain Kirk, the white knight of Star Trek, articulates his and the Federation's moral superiority and authority over the Asian alien and her people through sexual conquest. Indeed, it is only after the captain physically and sexually dominates her that she respects and eventually falls in love with him. After giving in to Kirk's power, Elan, like the cunning and manipulative dragon lady of classical Hollywood cinema, returns the favor by capturing his heart. The Asian alien's tears contain a biochemical agent that, when touched by a man, even aliens like Kirk, forces him to fall deeply in love with her. After she manipulates Kirk into desiring her, Elan becomes submissive, gentle, loyal, even willing to die with him by his side as the Klingons ruthlessly attack the Enterprise. It is at this point in the narrative that the other stereotype of the it is at this point in the narrative that the other stereotype of the Asian female comes into play, that of the submissive Asian slave. In the end, Elan does anything Captain Kirk requests, politely and adoringly obeying his demands and orders. Her dragon lady tactics were only used that she could assume a position she truly desired, the submissive mistress of a white knight. Damn. Very, very good comment. In oh, snap. Yep. Incisive analysis. Yep. <laughs> it's hard to think of a better note <laughs> to just fully encapsulate. Here's what that episode was. That's a glass of wine and a little bump of Coke. And then <laughs> <laughs> this was bullshit. Um, oof. Yeah. Um, but again, wildly entertaining. And especially when everyone's giving it 110%. It's like yeah. their energy you know, comes through the screen. It's just like. Even if bullshit's coming out of their mouth, they're just like, they're saying it in such a like enticing way where you're just like, I gotta watch. This is incredible. They commit. They commit. And they're earning their paychecks. Exactly. For sure. Um, well, thanks for coming on, Arden, to um, watch yeah, a you. blast from your past. Yeah, no, I'm entirely different viewing experience than the last time I watched this, so... Um, so I was glad I could watch it. Yeah, the kind <laughs> that makes you t- in love with you all. <laughs> Thank God I've changed. Thank God I've changed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, God. Yeah. It must have been you. Couldn't have been you yourself. No. Yeah. Um, well, we definitely would love for you to come on multiple times in the I, future. I mean, you know, I would love to come on. I mean, I will talk about Star Trek literally at any point in time. Hmm. What do we got next? Next time, um, we are watching one of the ones, one of the very few from the third season that is considered to be a classic just in its own right. Still very much a product of the third season, but generally regarded as like definitely one of the highlights of the season and of the show. Hmm. Um, and that will be the Enterprise incident. Um, the Enterprise The incident. Enterprise incident. So, yeah, th- hopefully season three won't be all bad. No, it can't be. No. Stands to reason. Um, all right. Well, we'll help you join us next time for the Enterprise incident as we continue season three of the original Star Trek. Until next time, as always, I'm Jaron Hatch. I'm Aaron Cole. I'm Aaron. Yes, you are. We'll have you back. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, please don't be a misogynist asshole. Or racist. Or racist. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share your own Star Trek story 
or give us a hot take on the episode we just watched, you can join the conversation by visiting our Discord server. You can find us by clicking on the link in the show description.